0: Welcome to the Elite Four, a retro Pokemon tournament podcast. I'm Laura. I'm
1: Tyler. I'm Rick. I'm Mike.
0: Welcome to our third episode, and I'm going to kick this one off with a fan suggestion. One of our fans has reached out to me and said we should call all of our fan group the Grimers, which I think is a great name for them. He has dubbed himself Head Grimer. (laughs) I won't say his name because I don't know if he wants the name out there, but... Welcome Grimers and a special shout out to our head Grimer. I think we should do a little reminiscing and talk about something specifically that makes us nostalgic about generation two or even gen one. Cause as a reminder, we're a retro podcast. We focus on gen one and gen two Pokemon. Does anyone have any special memories of why these generations kind of like bring them back to the good old days?
2: If you think about like a a chilly, rainy, cloudy, kind of crappy fall day, for some reason, that just makes me think of the music from Azalea Town. And playing Pokemon Gold. And I couldn't tell you why, but that specifically, that type of weather just makes me hardcore nostalgic for Gen 2. What kind of makes me nostalgic
3: about Gen 2 is when catching your first legendary and your gold or silver or crystals, kind of something like that, after you you have saved the game right before Ho-Oh, in my case, with, you know, 50 Ultra Balls, with two Pokemon that know uh, Sleep Powder or Hypnosis, and then it takes you still two hours to catch the dang thing. And then you finally do it. just a huge relief. And just, yeah, as finally all that time and effort wasted just to get this dang ho-oh.
0: For me, because our family did a lot of traveling in the car to see relatives and such, I played a lot of Pokemon in the car. And that for me just reminds me of a nice like, oh, you know, like, joyride, ride, play some Pokemon, evolve some sweet pokes and like pass the time in the car. Cause I uh, am not one that can sleep in cars. I wish I had that skill.
1: Mine's a little bit different as mine kind of reminds me of Pokemon based on when I actually got the first Game Boy and I got Pokemon Blue. So it was the summertime school had just got out and the uh, one of the local sports teams, I believe it was a Dallas Stars at the time, had just won the Stanley Cup and they had brought the Stanley Cup to uh, the city we grew up in. And that was like the first time, I had actually had time because, you know, the line to see the Stanley Cup was like three and a half hours long, which is like an eternity when, you know, you're 10 or 11 or nine years old, however old I was um, at the time. And that will forever remind me of sitting in line with my two favorite things at the time, hockey, getting to see a Stanley Cup, and playing Pokemon Blue and beating the first two gym leaders while waiting in line to see the other awesome thing, which is the Stanley Cup,
0: the Stanley Cup from the Dallas Stars was brought to our city. That seems wrong. Nope.
1: 1999. Brett Hall, the the skate in the crease. Ask Buffalo. Or we were all there. There's a picture of us.
0: I was there.
2: Yeah, yeah. They were there. the they're the affiliate for the the local team that was in the IHL at the time.
0: I didn't know I was in that picture. Someone sent that to me if they had that. Fun little you know, side tidbit.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can dig it up somewhere.
1: It's gotta I'm, I'm, I, I might actually still have it.
2: I'm going to see if I can get the uh, the audio clip from Strange Brew and send it to you of them saying, well, that's no goal, eh? It was in the crease. That was no goal, you know? They was in the crease.
0: <laughs> For our Grimers, as a reminder, we're siblings, so that's why we have photos together from age nine and whatever else whatever other ages but are we are siblings and Tyler is the honorary sibling so we grew up together from like age I met Tyler before I had a memory so I was probably like what like six months old
1: Tyler yeah. and I actually met uh met in preschool so I mean
2: or that's pretty darn long oh before Pokemon was even a thing mm. oh yeah
0: and I am a obviously related to the other two idiots on this podcast. So sup bros. Hi, it me. So to kind of evolve, no pun intended, on our last episode we wanna talk a little bit more about team strategies and kind of how we evolved from each tournament to tournament, Broadened our teams, got a little bit better for our polka cup. And I think it's important to note we do polka cup format, not smog on style. Um, we do 3v3 on the Nintendo 64 system.
2: And I think like just to add to it the by the time we got to the third tournament like there was there was definitely uh strategies you could find online but because we had the 3 on 3 it just it grew differently and the strategies we used were were just different than what they used for the 6 on 6. And so we started out and it was trial and error. So by the time we got to this point we had already had our first teams and we had a chance to see what worked and what didn't. And so some of our more final strategies and final team choices were kind of coming into the picture at this point.
0: Did I say smogon right by the way?
2: It's it's usually smogon, but I've never actually heard someone say it online so who knows. Never seen the word before.
0: Cuz you're not a Pokemon tournament champion. <laughs> Sick bird, bro.
1: Fucks to suck. <laughs>
0: So as we built upon our first couple teams, made some mistakes, learned from those mistakes, what worked well for your teams, kind of in this next round of tournaments?
2: I think what worked for for my team the best was definitely Snorlax, <laughs> and I think uh, I think Snorlax worked the best for just about everybody that was uh, using Snorlax. I don't know what uh what Rick and Mike would have to say about that.
0: Never have, never will have Snorlax.
2: Forever Snorlax.
0: Never.
3: You're good. Snorlax is a fun time. Especially he's, when you can make Laura ba- have a bad time.
0: He's so annoying. And Laura has so many Snorlax strategies at this point because all three of you have decent ones that I'm like, bring it on, yawn. Decent?
1: Yeah.
0: That was a semi-compliment.
1: Yeah, she said decent bruh. they are beyond decent you clown
0: i one hit your spider. snorlax on multiple occasions so he only gets a d for decent if i can one hit him
2: the capital d <laughs> uh, there there were some other ones that uh that definitely fit and worked um but i, th- I think another thing that people used that got that got Uh, A lot of results was uh, status, like paralyzing, and maybe a little bit sleep, but I don't think anyone, I I know a few people had Sleep Powder, but, you know, Thunder Wave is 100% accurate, so I know people were using that. I think Sleep Powder, was it Sleep Powder and Spore are the two most accurate sleeping moves? Yeah, uh, Spore is 100%, I think, but only like two Pokemon can get it. Yeah, Parasect, and uh, I mean, I guess you can get it on uh, Smeargle (laughs) if uh, you want to do that.
0: That is a most
2: worthless Pokemon out there.
0: Garbage Pokemon. Yeah, there's not that many great bug pokes. um, But to Tyler and Michael's point, in our experience, the sleepy and status effectors haven't done that much as far as effectiveness. I've gotten a lot further with like paralyzing somebody or a confused ray or something like that versus a sleeping move.
1: Agreed.
3: I don't usually like to go with sleeping because I'm pretty weird about, in terms of things missing, it kind of screws with my strategies overall. So I like to go for stuff that'll just screw up the opponent's chances even to attack. So that's why I go for confusion, paralysis and accuracy attacks. It's such a kind of a dirty strategy honestly if you're looking at it from an objective point of view, but it works very,
1: very well. you and Rick- I'm actually with Mike. I, I was gonna say I'm actually with Michael on the, uh, the Paralyze and the accuracy ones. I mean, I think the Joltiana I have specifically has either sand attack or I think the other one I got um, has mud slap. I like Mike's strategy.
3: There's a couple ways out of the accuracy um, the accuracy attack. In Gen 2, is if you switch out, it does um, take away some of the effects that the
2: accuracy attacks have had. But not the paralysis. That's going to stay. then that I ended up kind of stumbling into in the second tournament that I carried over into the third one was Attract, because it's kind of unique uh, in the fact that it's similar to Confusion in that you can... Uh, stack it onto another status, like Poison or Paralyzing. But unlike Confusion, it just never goes away uh, unless they switch. But it actually... I gotta ask you guys a question. Do you think it kind of gives an advantage to female Pokémon? Because a lot of the Pokémon that people would choose for their team that are good choices, like Umbreon, Jolteon, Charizard, any of the starters, uh, have a heavy percentage it's like 80 it's like seven uh seven to one male to female ratio so if you put a tract on a female pokemon you just seem to have a little bit more of an uh, an advantage just in numbers i would say if you
3: get people that notice the strategy later on it can be completely mitigated if you have a specifically more female heavy team or a, a team that's nice and evenly split between male and female Pokemon, if there's players that recognize the differences and the necessities to have those two, that strategy can be wiped
2: out pretty easily. I, I just got a little lucky in that it wasn't uh, like a series, it was just a best of one, I guess you'd say. So if I saw that their team, you know, if they, if they were smart and they had a good balance, or they had a Starmie or a Magneton who don't have genders, then that was, uh, yeah, if they had all the males, then that was an easy, easy thing to pick for the team.
0: I actually like attract. Um, I've used it a lot. It sounds like Tyler and I align more and then Rick and Mike maybe align more in their preferred strategies. I like attract cause you can kind of have a wild card and I feel like if I can't use it, it's never completely thwarted my strategy. I have three other moves that are perfectly capable of taking down a Pokemon. If I can't use a trap it's never been like, oh, no, I can't do anything. But on that point, I think for improvement in all of our teams, as we found ourselves in the the next couple tournaments that weren't, you know, the rookie one and the one after what do you think kind of worked for your improvement and did you notice anything that needed to be improved a third and a fourth time or were there anything you did that like worked and now you're like all right i know how to build a team i'm gonna carry this through all of my teams
2: i know that in the past uh, mike specifically you and i talked about re-raising pokemon uh, that we had already had in our team but we decided that maybe their stats could have been better that was something that A lot of times, people didn't even think about, like, they thought about, oh, Charizard's really good, not, look look at Charizard's stat of speed, you know, it's X, and that's really good, and it can beat something else. Um, But just doing, raising teams and seeing what other ones had, like, for example, Jolteon Mm -hmm. can pretty easily get to, like, 160 in speed, and... Looking at something else, like a Scyther can get into the 140s, but he's going to lose out every time to Jolteon.
0: To jump on what Tyler said, for me, as I got more privy to it, I started checking the stats of the Pokemon I was catching. For example, my Lapras that I caught, the first time I noticed its stats were just pretty garbage for what a Lapras baseline should be. So then I released that one, and then I caught another one, and its stats were just better right off the catch. And I was like, oh, okay, like it actually does matter because I think I want to say its defense was like maybe six points difference just off the catch. Um, And I think that's important because I have a couple Pokemon that I haven't re-raised yet, but probably will in the future that could have better stats. When I caught them as little babies that they were at level five, they just were weaker level fives, which to me was new to learn that like not all Pokemon had the same base stats when you catch them.
1: Uh, all pokemon are created equal yes so there has been a couple times i've done that once with a Growlithe, and once with a hound hour so i actually raised two different hound hours to hound doom eventually and last well, cannon kind of realized about halfway through oh this one's gonna be way stronger so i released the other one and kept the stronger, more beefy one.
0: I know I mentioned it right before, Rick. The other Pokemon I would want to do this with is my Machamp, who is actually really good on his own and can easily one-hit those Snorlaxes, but he does have weak defense, and Tyler and I were talking about it, and we've come to the conclusion that when I caught it as a Machop, it must have just had bad defense because for baseline, for every all of his other levels, he's pretty weak in defense. So that's an example of Knowing what your baseline stats are for the Pokemon and knowing what you need it to have to be tournament ready.
2: I, cause sometimes you can just have a bum Pokemon. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Like, let's say you have a Snorlax and he's even for a Snorlax, he's super slow. That doesn't really matter because Snorlax is slow anyway, but for most Pokemon, you want to have the best stats available when you're starting.
0: I definitely agree. Um, As far as strategies, are there anything that completely failed? Did you do anything new in tournament three or four that you were like, Oh, this is great. Just kidding. I just got my butt kicked.
2: Oh, I don't know. This wasn't me specifically, but um, I know that there were some people that used a lot of their favorites, regardless of how good they were, uh, either stats wise or moves wise. Uh, specifically, talking about my friend Caden, who I ended up having to play in Loser's Bracket in the third tournament. Uh, he really likes Dugong and Arcanine. Those are two of his favorite Pokemon. And he had both of them in the battle that we had. And he didn't... So he started off really good, because he froze my Pokemon on the first move with uh, Dugong. So he started off pretty much as good as you can start, because i didn't even get an attack he froze me and then he just wiped out my first pokemon so then it was two to three just to start off with basically um but because there's better choices than dugong and arcanine has really good stats but not very good moves it ended up that his favorites didn't quite carry him as well as he'd hoped and that was kind of something that a lot of people discovered in the first couple of tournaments and by the time we were getting to the third one and the fourth one we'd really started to have the, the experience to be like well maybe I need to try something different
0: yeah I also agree I've had a couple favorites that i just like and haven't been able to use because they're just like not super great I have an Arcanine that knows attract that would be awesome if Arcanine was a more defensive Pokemon But seeing that he's a fire type, he just naturally has a higher attack than he does on the defense side. So I couldn't use him in the way I wanted to because he just isn't built for that. Like, to Rick's point or Tyler's point earlier about you can have bum Pokemon, fire types are more offensive. Water types are more defensive. It's kind of like football players, I guess, or soccer players. Everybody's better at a certain position. And you kind of have to learn, like, is your Pokemon a lineman or is he a wide receiver?
1: Is he a postman,
3: or is he a point guard?
1: So, Houndoom is definitely not a lineman. Because... <laughs> Glass, um, cannon canon. Because this is what I tried to do with him. So I put Flamethrower on him, and I also put Sludge Bomb on him as well. Because it's like, okay, so he's a dark fire type. And I also have a Poison move on him, which not a whole lot of people would expect. Great idea, right? Meh, not so much. Because he can hit hard, but he's not super fast. His special defense and defense really aren't that great. And for those stats to kind of be mediocre is is not great at all. I mean, Houndoom is one of my favorite Pokemon, but he did not fare very well in the tournament. And I was like, oh, okay. Let's do something different at this
3: point. him has weakness to fighting moves and his physical defense is very weak. We can see how this ends.
0: I've definitely done this where I brought a Lantern and Lantern is a water electric type. So in theory on paper, stats not considered, Raindance and Thunder should work really well for electric water type. The lantern stats just are weak, and he can't last the amount of moves it takes to get that set up. So by the time I did my Rain Dance, I would have went second and got a hit, and then I did a Thunder, but I would have taken a second hit. So by the time I was able to do my first Thunder without a Rain Dance, I'd have half my HP left, and it just didn't work for me. Because Lantern's not strong enough to take the amount of hits to set up that strategy.
3: Yeah, I mean, probably half your HP at most, because of how much how easily Lantern can just get bulldozed by even just a strong normal type Pokemon.
0: But on paper, it made so much sense. I was like, oh, this sounds so great. False.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it's one of those things that when they designed it, they thought, you know, the same thing. It looks great on paper for something like that. And it probably works really good if you're just playing the game and fighting the the gym leaders and the AI and stuff. But once you start playing other people, then it kind of loses its luster. If it had any luster in the first place.
0: (laughs) That's why I like playing other trainers and doing our tournaments. Because again, I can beat the Elite Four with a level like 80 Pidgeot. And like in real battle strategy, I'm not going to take down anybody with a Pidgeot. But the Elite Four, because like you don't have like the level matchup that you do in a tournament and you don't have the same type of like non-ai like actual human trainers i think it makes a big difference because all of the pokemon that i've used to beat the elite four are never in my tournament teams
3: they're just there to get you through the elite four to get you a bunch of money so you can pay for all those um what's the iron carbohydrates and protein stuff for (laughs) when you train for the tournament
1: (laughs) okay steroids arbos
0: roids So as we went through these tournaments, just kind of us in general, did we find that it was our Pokemon, maybe the moveset that helped, maybe looking at stats or like our decision-making that brought us success or failure? Like, is there a key thing that you had to change that you saw you started succeeding in tournaments on?
2: I think one of the biggest things was being okay with switching in the middle of a battle because a lot of times, people are reluctant to make that switch because you know that you're going to get hit by something. Unless you have a really obvious thing, like let's say you have a Jolteon out there against a golem, you know the earthquake is going to come in. So you switch to a flying type to avoid that earthquake. That's a pretty easy switch to make, but if it's a more complex situation, you have to think about what you're okay getting hit with. And a lot of times making that switch is absolutely key um, like, as, as we saw with my one of my old roommates, Nick, he had a Skarmory, and he would switch in that Skarmory all the time, because it's a sponge, it has crazy high defense, it can take hits like crazy. So, just learning that switching is okay, and then maybe forcing your opponent to switch and using uh, the best move possible on that switch, just, that was one of the biggest things that that people learned and i guess that would fall under decision making i guess
0: i think for me specifically because i get nervous in battles because i just like i don't know if it's like a competitive nature or i don't want to lose because i've spent a lot of time in this i get nervous so i do need to like have better decision making and the art of switching was key for me too because then i learned a like this is a bad type matchup for me i have a better one i should just switch to it or Additionally, learning how to set up Pokemon with a switch. So, if I do do a rain dance, I don't have a lantern anymore because that's dumb. So, I'll use a different Pokemon to do, do a rain dance and switch to like a Jolteon and like set it up better. And that requires switching built in. So, to Tyler's point, like you know, you're going to take a hit off of it. But sometimes, if that's setting up your strategy and that decision is better for you for the full long battle, you need to think that way. I know I've been doing better about not thinking about the one Pokemon I'm battling right now, but the three that I have and the three that they have and being like, oh, you know what? Maybe it's worth losing my Starmie if I get to keep my Jolteon.
3: Right, and then that ties into knowing when to not switch and when to just grind it out. Because it might be a good idea to just say, it's like, crap, I have a type disadvantage here, but this Pokemon I'm fighting isn't really going to take me down in a bunch of hits. Let's see if I can, potentially take as much damage away from it, or maybe if I get lucky and take it down with the type disadvantage, and then that puts
1: me in a really powerful position to to win the battle. The other things I learned uh, after after really just watching people battle was if you can kind of anticipate what the other trainer is going to throw at you, what that other attack is, that can also kind of play into when you want to switch as well. And in the back of my mind when I'm battling if I see a type disadvantage or if even if I see a type advantage I'll throw a different attack expecting the other person to switch so that's another piece of correct so if I'm expecting someone to switch I will throw a different attack based on what I think that Pokemon's going to be or if I'm not sure exactly, I'll usually go with a safer move that, that's a little more accurate.
0: I think the art of switching and anticipation is key and actually something Tyler taught me, so thanks Tyler. Um, if I pull out a Pokemon, let's say a Jolteon and I do a Thunder Wave and I predict them switching, it sometimes behooves me to do Thunder Wave again to paralyze their second Pokemon that they're gonna bring out instead of like a Thunder if it's not going to work. And there's a couple other examples, um, like Confuse Ray on an Umbreon. If I predict they're going to switch, I might be better off doing a Confuse Ray to kind of confuse that second Pokemon too, and then you're already that far ahead.
3: Confuse Ray is the friend and enemy of all of us.
2: Confuse Ray is amazing. I can't even remember what it was like before I before learned to use it.
0: For me, it's not confused, right? Like, the bane of my existence is Thunder Wave. Every time I get paralyzed, it's like, oh, you're fully paralyzed, you can't attack for 25 turns in a row.
3: Dum-da-da-dum-dum-dum. Womp womp.
2: Yeah, go, going back to what Rick was saying about um, switching like that, Rick, you said that you kind of learned that watching people. Would you say that you picked up anything in battles yourself with that? Because I remember uh, and I mentioned this a little bit last time. You and I faced each other in uh, the finals of Tournament 2. And we had kind of a switch fest between my Umbreon and my Kingdra, and your Golem and Starmie. And there's obvious advantages that we would want uh, in that matchup. And there was a point where we kept switching, trying to get that obvious advantage and there was a point that i left uh i left my Umbreon out there for one move against your golem and after that turn i was like oh shoot that was actually a bad idea because he could have exploded and then i would be screwed uh versus kingdra and so that was one of the first times i remember thinking about like deep um switching strategies yeah, and I think part of that probably did come
1: from come from the second tournament coming in the finals because we have had battles like that where both of us are trying to get a type advantage and both of us are trying to fight so hard to do so. And I do remember missing on that opportunity and kind of being like, crap, if I see it again, I'm going to do this. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, Tyler saw it too, and I know he saw it. So I kind of missed out, but I use that in later tournaments down the road to kind of again put yourself in an advantage and see where you can predict what kind of Pokemon is going to come next or what kind of attack strategy you need to use on the switch. So that's that will become very important.
2: Oh, next on the list of things that I wanted to ask, I'm gonna start off on Mike here because i know that you already talked about it a little bit um but how do you feel on things like thunder versus thunderbolt like accuracy um you know thunderbolts 100 accurate but thunder is a lot more powerful
3: i think you have to have an idea of what you want to do i personally probably lean more toward thunderbolt because i think the trade-off there is You know, Thunder has a 7 out of 10 accuracy versus Thunderbolt, which is 10 out of 10, of a power of 120 for Thunder with 95 for Thunderbolt. Um, For that move specifically, I think going with the Thunderbolt option, I think is a better one overall, unless you're trying to do something like a Rain Dance Thunder. Then, Then I can understand using Thunder there. The other thing to add in there is... There's a couple of one hit KO moves that are pretty solid options if you want to really go boomer bust. Those moves would be horn drill, guillotine, and
2: fidger. We
0: all know some fissure shenanigans that happened. Bailey.
2: Laura and me. It happened to me too. I just uh, I managed to get through it.
0: Did Bailey get way further in a tournament than technically on paper she should have because Fissure was like incredibly accurate for her the whole tournament?
2: I'm I'm not even sure I would say it was just because of the accuracy thing. Uh, And all due respect to my cousin, but she definitely beat some people that no one expected her to beat. And she did it in a row because she was in loser's bracket. Uh, I know, like, I'll I'll echo what Mike said. I generally go for the more accurate move as well. I have a few Pokemon, like um, my old Starmie had Hydro Pump instead of Surf because I wanted the extra power. Uh, But in general, I go with the more accurate move. The only two that I go with a more powerful move are both ones you kind of have to. I have a Moltres that I use uh, charcoal and sunny day on, and I go with fire blast. So it's just like as much power as you can muster. And then the other one is my light ball Pikachu, because if you're using a light ball Pikachu, you have to go big or go home.
1: Otherwise, you're
2: just going home. Yeah, basically.
0: (laughs) Pika's just gonna faint and be toast.
3: Pikachu is another glass cannon.
2: Intake. As a light ball. Light ball Pikachu, correct. I, he can take, like, not even one hit. It's it's pretty bad.
3: <laughs>
2: if it works, it works. It works. I know that one time, I know it wasn't in tournament, but I beat all of Mike's team with just my light ball Pikachu, and that was shenanigans. Oh, my God. I remember that now. Jesus.
0: Um... We were just
3: playing offhand, and you just... Decided to just go full-blown steamroll
2: light ball Pikachu. Here we go. I'm pretty sure that one of them I had like a type advantage, but I know that like critical hit thunder on Snorlax, is just, that was just dirty. Unreal. I think one might've been my Lapras or something like that.
0: I'll also echo what Tyler said. I also go for the more accurate ones because if you can hit, you're doing damage. And if you miss, no damage is done except in the cases where it's necessary, like my Machamp to one hit a Snorlax, you've got to use cross Chop. You can't use any other fighting move. So that one is not very accurate, but when it hits, I know they're going to faint. There's no chance they're surviving that. So generally more accurate moves are my preferred, but there are certain cases against things like a Snorlax. I know my only option is a less accurate move.
3: I really think you should put a vital throw on your Machamp, Laura. I think that would be a good move to put on Machamp Vital Throw. Even though it always goes second, it's pretty accurate. What's the power on that? It's seventy-five or seventy.
2: Actually, it's one of those moves that I like never use. So I have to check. Yeah, it's seventy.
0: Is it a hundred percent accurate? It'd be more
2: worth it
3: than. Uh... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah.
0: I'll look into it. He's one of the ones I want to re-raise because his he is he could be better
2: because all the other fighting moves uh seismic toss does a set damage submission hurts you and isn't 100 percent accurate and then dynamic punch is only 50 percent accurate so.
3: so on um the gold silver crystal description of vital throw it says a second strike move that never misses
2: yeah so it must be like swift
0: he's dirt slow anyway he's never gonna go first
2: Correct. That's why I think you should put it on there. Well, actually,
0: in a Snorlax, he might.
2: Probably go first against a Snorlax.
0: I'll look into my options. I definitely think for me, the biggest thing that brought success was knowing those types. So whether you use flashcards or you just kind of study up, it's important to know what weaknesses your Pokemon have and what you're battling against them. So you don't get a sneak attack like an Earthquake or someone with a sneak attack like a Vital Throw or like a Thunder. You should know what your Pokémon's weaknesses are, and that's going to make a big difference into your decision-making across the board. You're going to know when to switch. You're going to know what moves to do. You're going to know when you are at a type advantage, and that, I think, is the biggest key across the board.
3: You need to have good Pokémon, but having good Pokémon without battle skill or a battle strategy, you're still going to lose.
0: Yeah, I think for all of us, even though there are shenanigans that always happen, decision-making seems to be what can seal you the win.
2: I think so, too. Especially if it comes down to, like, a really key moment in the battle. Um, If you make the right switch, if you you predict what they're going to switch to, then that can just be it right there.
1: You can essentially put yourself in a much better position just based on knowing what type of advantages you have and what switch abilities you you do have. And basically getting that advantage there even before the battle really starts.
0: Yeah. And even decision-making into what I said earlier, like kind of set yourself up if they are going to switch, do a move that is going to hit or do one that is a status effector, so that way even your decision making during the process of the battle, even if they switch to a type adva- a type disadvantage for you, your first hit can matter. Up, oh, dope. So now that we've all kind of at this point in our tournament experience learned type disadvantages, decision making, sort of battle strategy, what big changes did you make to your teams and what were those big changes?
2: Oh, I think probably the biggest change that I made to my team was I finally settled on an Umbreon moveset that worked and worked really good. And on top of that, it ended up being, I kind of accidentally stumbled upon the uh, standard Gen 2 Umbreon, which is Confuse Ray and Toxic. It wasn't really something that I planned um, from the start, because I started out and I had a weird Umbreon that had like zap cannon and confuse ray but zap cannon's pretty inaccurate um so i wanted to try something that was better like toxic and it ended up just no one can kill umbreon before toxic kills them so they either have to have a way to get rid of it with rest or switch and then at that point i'm poisoning their entire team so they have to contend with that because once you switch it changes from the the compounding poison damage that toxic does to just regular poison which is just a percentage of your health that'll still add up over time if they don't have a way to recover their health and that was definitely what i rode throughout the losers bracket of the third tournament um i was heavily leaning on umbreon for sure in tournament number three uh but beyond that i think a lot of times people wanted to use like the most powerful moves that they had and i looked into that a little bit and i kind of found that marowak is built for that because its held item doubles your attack so it's basically a free swords dance and that made marowak pretty important for quite a few teams that i had
3: i think for me i went away from having level 51 across the board pokemon and i kind of fell into the trap originally of having uh almost all just attacking move sets so we talked about that previously having you know status attacks and stuff like that but i moved away from having you know the hydro pumps the thunders to having the surfs the thunder the thunderbolts and also changing my team to have uh mostly 50s and a couple 55s which are like the 55s like dragonite for example heracross another example um and tyranitar So that's what I decided to settle on. And that's where my team tended to um, fade toward is being able to have those 55s as an option.
0: My biggest changes, which I guess not to pat myself on the back in a sense, but most of my Pokemon were like almost solid, but needed tweaks as far as like move sets to Tyler's point with like an Umbreon figuring out the right move set. I talked about my Starmie previously, swapping out a move, talked about champ like making sure he had the right moveset. So for me, it was a lot of like realizing that overall strategy of like swapping out a move to make sure I had the proper moveset and then decision-making in battles of making sure I stuck to those plans.
1: There have been a couple of different strategies that I kind of tweaked here and there, but I think I eventually settled on a strategy that was hit hard and hit fast. So I like using very fast Pokemon that can also... A very high attack a very high special attack it's jolteon's one of those that that i like first of all but jolteon's also a, a good pick for that strategy so if you can jump out front with a fast pokemon that strikes first and then use something like a thunderbolt or a thunder um again i'm still with mike and tyler and pretty much everyone else here Laura as well on let's go with the more accurate move but being able to hit hard and hit first is is a big proponent that I kind of tailored my team towards in the, in the latter tournaments as well.
0: Which is interesting because my teams have gone the other way, but I think it's great that we just had very different battle strategies that are both successful.
2: That's part of what's so good about, um, PokéCup in general, because I think I mentioned it before, but in the six on six in Gen 2, there were quite a few things that everyone was doing, like always had to have someone that was a rapid spinner in case your opponents used spikes because every time you switch that would do damage but it wasn't really feasible to set up spikes with a three on three because you're devoting a very important spot to the, to the move spikes and a pokemon that can use it and just having so many diffs only having three pokemon in your team It sounds like it's a little bit limiting, but it actually opens up to all these different things. You can go with such like three extremely powerful Pokemon, or you can go with three really defensive Pokemon.
0: I think that's one of my favorite things as I build Pokemon and add more to my team. I just have all of these different strategies, heavy hitters, fast Pokemon, slow ones that last forever. And I can kind of change it up and depending on who I'm battling and the more tournaments I do, it's just fun to be able to have options um we talk about shenanigans a lot bailey's fissure Bunder shenanigans the gengar struggle battle um were there any wild cards this time around and that had any big impacts on your team or that you were battling against
2: so there were quite a few surprises in tournament three um when people were you know as we said people were getting their teams uh locked down they had tried things they learned uh what worked and what didn't and one of the things that was a total wild card uh was one of my cousins connor kind of lost his mind and tried a jigglypuff and a pikachu like that that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in a a competitive team like lightball pikachu if you're gonna like gamble then that that can be a good choice but he really he wanted to go with the jigglypuff instead of uh even evolving it to wigglytuff so that was that was definitely a bit of a wild card and jigglypuff didn't really work out for him so much the pikachu he did okay with because pikachu actually has some pretty good speed and Light uh ups his special attack so much but uh his sister bailey she definitely had the most luck of any of the wild card pokemon because she had a ride on that she just needed a sixth pokemon in her team she went out to the uh Cerulean Cave, and caught one that fit her levels. Taught it Fissure, and then just started fissuring everybody. I mean, the accuracy for Fissure is like thirty percent, and then there's there's a little bit of wiggle room depending on levels, but it's about a thirty percent accuracy. And I would say she probably hit at least fifty percent of the times she used it, which is pretty good since it's a one hit KO move. Uh, I was victim to it. Laura, you said you were victim to it. And, and um, for
0: me, her accuracy against me specifically was 100% because she got my first two right off the bat.
2: She got me twice too. Rip. <laughs> it's one of those things that I know that she tried to replicate it later on and it didn't work as well, of course, because, you know, the percentages will even out over time. But, yeah, that it, in in my battle with her, I, I sent out my snorlax first and she started out with Rhydon, on and so i switched to kingdra so i could have that type advantage and she one shot it on the switch so i just started out down and that led to some other shenanigans that happened in that battle but that was it definitely sucks when that first pokemon gets hit with fissure and you're like cool i'm already starting down a pokemon the the final of tournament three was against uh my friend dylan and he had he had a wild card and i had a wild card in that one his wild card my old roommate called the nuclear option because it was a curse lax and that is an incredibly terrifying pokemon because you use curse and that ups your attack and defense and cuts your speed but snorlax is already super slow so his speed doesn't really matter And then if you give it like rest and then another attack, then it's really hard to defeat that Pokemon. And he had a Curselax and in, on my side, I had another Umbreon that I've only used one time and I'm not sure if I consider it, it's a little bit cheap. I'll say, I'll say it, it's a little bit cheap. So I used double team and baton pass. Oh dear. On, on Umbreon. So I sat there and I used six double teams because I knew that Umbreon was really uh bulky, could take a lot of hits. Uh and he had confuse ray too, so I confused uh Dylan's Pokemon, so he had to fight through that. But I six double teams and I baton passed it to a Dragonite.
0: And <gasps> Oh boy. Now I said that's I'm I'm scared for Dylan. That's terrifying.
2: So my accuracy or my uh, evasion was maxed out, and I had a full power Dragonite. And in addition to that, Dragonite can learn a ton of moves. And I actually think he's one of the few that can pull off like a huge variety of really good special attacks. And that's what I used him for. Well, Curse only raises your defense. And Snorlax already has pretty good special defense, but. Since I was focusing on the special attacks, he, he wasn't raising his special defense any higher. So all of my special attacks were coming in at regular damage and bypassing the fact that he used Curse. Because the evasion was so high, he just never hit me with anything. And so I kind of dodged that nuclear bomb uh, with my own, I guess. But that was definitely two big wild cards that like he never used that curse lax besides the final. He was saving it. And I never used that Umbreon except the final. I was saving it. So that was I remember a couple people being like, This is an interesting combination of strategies.
0: And that's definitely one that I think had you not been both prepared, could have fallen into shenanigans. Because had I battled that curse lax, there's no way I could have taken it down. Not a chance. Maybe with your Machamp.
2: Um, maybe with Machamp. But if he got a couple of curses away, it would have been in trouble.
0: So the next thing I want to talk about is a little bit of, you know, like drama and suspense in our Pokemon tournaments is a different Mike, not my sibling Mike, but Mike R. And I think somebody should talk about kind of who he brought, what his strategy was, and kind of if we felt it warranted to ban him from tournaments. Dun, dun, dun.
2: I'll go go with that. So... So Mike was a friend of uh, a friend of a friend that had been coming to a couple tournaments he was really excited and he started inviting all of his friends. and Mike was a huge Pokemon fan. He was really into some of the competitive stuff and at the time generation four was the newest and best and so he was he was really invested in that he had some really advanced team strategies and stuff and he, was really excited to come to this tournament because he loved generation one and generation two and he wanted to see what he could do with his team he actually put in like a hundred hours on his blue version uh in like the two weeks before the tournament so that he could raise like a perfect team because he was used to the competitive uh atmosphere and community and all of us were kind of just getting into it. We, we were used to the competitiveness, but we weren't going online for strategies. Uh, yet at least. And he was used to that. That's where he built his team. That's where he was, he was fighting people. So he had a little bit of an advantage in the competitive atmosphere and all of us were a little bit surprised by that because he had like, he had the the perfect he actually used just blue version so he had a little bit of a disadvantage he didn't have as many pokemon or moves available to him but he had like a killer team he had uh starmie he had zapdos alakazam snorlax executor he had all the killers that he could get in generation one and it kind of it threw people off and it rubbed them the wrong way because they weren't used to that yet and he just wanted to play and battle against people who were really good um And the people that wanted to ban him, I think they couldn't take the heat. Uh, I don't know if that's, uh, like, throwing any of you guys under the bus, but I know specifically a couple of people that wanted to ban him. They came to me, like, after the tournament, and they're like, I didn't like that guy. His team was too good. Like, maybe he shouldn't come back. And, (laughs) like, I I can kind of understand that just from, like, there's a, an experience that everyone has going to their first tournament where they get blown out and they're just not used to that. Um, but he just wanted to play. He was just excited that people had these tournaments. I feel kind of bad that people wanted to ban him. Um, and I'm glad that he still came back and still wanted to play and everything. I think it was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction by people. So, someone else said, Caden said this actually a little bit later. So... Tournament 3, I was undefeated until into Tournament 3. I think I had like 18 wins. I was like 18-0 and or something. And Mike was the first person that served me a loss. And it was a good battle. I didn't have a good third choice. I had two good ones, and then my third choice ended up being a bad one. Um, But Caden said later, people were mad because they all wanted to be the first one to serve me a loss and then someone that no one had met before was the one that got to do it and so they were just like salty about it.
1: I mean, oh well, at that point. I mean, I think hey. I think it was just shocking that that, we, that Tyler kind of I mean mentioned it earlier. I mean, no one really expected someone to just come in and be that good. So, it did kind of run people the wrong way, but definitely glad he's he came back.
3: I think it was unintentional though. He didn't mean to rub people the wrong way. Like oh, Tyler no. said, you were just he was just super into it. It's like, "Oh my god, I get to like play against people that know what they're doing. Hell yeah, let's go."
0: Yeah, I agree with Mike on that. I think people were just a little bit upset that somebody new came in knowing what they were doing cuz the rest of us kind of went in struggling in the first couple tournaments cuz it was new, we weren't sure. And I think some people felt that this guy because he used, you know, pre-made online strategies and didn't have to struggle they're upset that he came in and kind of demolished, but there's no reason to ban somebody because they're winning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree that I could see why they were mad, but you can't be mad that someone's just better at it than you are.
2: I, in fact, uh, after he started coming, other people started going online for those strategies. Like like Dylan, he, he went, like, full-on crazy mode with, like, he would go on and he would look up, okay, what strategies can I do with Gengar? And then he would use the PC box uh, cloning method to make like four Gengars and change their move sets each to fit specific things. And I think that was all because he saw the kind of strategies that Mike uh, had looked up online. And suddenly Dylan was like, oh, yeah, all this stuff's like really effective and really smart. And so he started going like really into it with his teams after that. And that was just something that Mike kind of brought to the table that none of us had really thought of before. In a simpler term, in simple terms, he stepped up the game, he did.
0: Yeah, he definitely did. And that's, I think we touched on it before. I am um, one who uses Pokemon that I like. So even if Snorlax is an amazing choice, I don't like that Pokemon. I'm not gonna go on an online strategy and use it, but I prefer to use one that is like, like and fit my style more and i think some people to dylan's point completely changed their like mo to do like what what the online survey said would work best
2: oh if i'm looking at some of the results here i got the the old brackets out um and it looks like laura you never had to fight against mike no um but the rest of us all did uh it looks like let's start with rick here Rick, you had to fight uh, Mike in the winner's bracket. Uh, looks like winner's semifinals in the third tournament. Do you remember anything from that? Because uh, at that point, I had already lost to him. He threw me into loser's bracket in the winner's quarterfinals. And I had to, I was playing other matches at the time.
1: From what I remember, I mean, obviously I knew he beat you. And I was like, okay, all right. So this guy obviously definitely knows what he's doing. I tried to kind of execute the strategy I came in I came in with, but he kind of saw it pretty pretty well. And I think I lost either like three to one, like like he took down all three of my Pokemon. I might have taken down one of his, but I mean, I think that was it. Was like, oh, okay. I mean, no, like I, like like yeah. I mean,
2: he was just better. Mike you played him in winner's quarters in the fourth tournament it looks like do you remember anything about that one I think I just kind constantly got the floor wiped if I remember correctly I didn't even really put up much of a fight it was so unmemorable I the so I ended up having to play him four times over tournaments three and four and he actually had he had three wins and only one loss against me in those two tournaments so the first time we played in tournament three, he beat me. We had, like I said, there was like a weird, I had a bad pick. I, I brought Slowbro for some reason. Uh, I didn't, I think I brought Slowbro, Marowak and Snorlax. And Mike does something that I love, which is he is not afraid to self-destruct his Snorlax because I, I thought about self-destructing my Snorlax on his, but I didn't. I just threw a regular attack and then he self-destructed on me. And I was like, that's a fair trade. Because I almost did it myself, uh, but he had the advantage over some of the switches there. And in the second one, uh, he brought his Toros, and I ended up outlasting it with uh, Umbreon. And that was—we were actually both in losers' bracket at that point because Dylan had managed to beat him in winners' finals because. He brought three Pokemon that were all weak to ice. I think he brought Zapdos, Executor, who's his third. He might have had like a golem or something. All three of them were weak to ice. And so Dylan got a little bit lucky with his matchup there, having an ice type. Just goes to
3: show if you happen to get a bad type matchup, you're almost you almost have already lost before the battle started.
2: That's true. Really picking your three can that you're right, just picking the right three can just win it before any, any moves have even taken place.
0: Yeah, that's definitely how my little brother got me one time, is I think I brought a bunch of people that were weak to, like, maybe flying or something, and I think you just wiped all three of them.
3: It could have been my Lapras.
1: Yeah, my first one.
2: Yeah. Yeah, just overall, like, he, Mike coming in as a new player brought completely new strategies and better Pokemon and just kind of, like, forced everyone to get better or they were just going to get, yeah, they were just going to lose. I think it actually helped, um it didn't just help people improve their strategies, but it made the battles better eventually because people had to make better decisions on top of having better Pokemon and better moves. It definitely, uh, some of the people that maybe just used rental teams, which there were a few people that always had rental teams, they didn't, those, those they weren't going to win anyway. And it encouraged people that were bringing their own teams to just like try something new, try Maybe their own wild card. I think Mike
3: also brought the um, the strategy of willing to explode or self destruct your Pokemon get back into the fold. I think Tyler, you were one of the first ones that would that used
2: to be willing to do it, because most players usually weren't willing to do it. I think you're right. A lot of times people would have a an exploder and they would want to use it as a last resort. They would try to attack before they exploded, and someone. A lot of the Exploders are slow. Yep. So, so they would their Golem, and they would try to earthquake, and it wouldn't do much. And they'd get hit with a move, and they would be under fifty percent health. And it's like, well, I guess I should have just exploded because they're going to kill me on the next move. And he yeah. would come out
3: first. And I think that's for kind of why,
2: um,
3: like, I have a wheezing now. That's pretty much, kind of that an Exploder. But it's also, it's it has a decent shot to you know not have to be an Exploder.
2: Such a power move! Yeah, oh like my goodness! Swing off with an explode. You're like, whoa! This this is serious right now.
3: Yeah, give the give the goal on a nice
2: little polka
1: dot bow. So fun! I just love ruining people's days.
2: Oh, I've got the like I said earlier. I got the the brackets here for from tournaments three and four. Tournament three was my personal favorite, and I know I'm biased. I think it had the most upsets. It was the most exciting for me because I got thrown into losers. Uh, unexpectedly and then had to come out through losers bracket and in the finals if you know how double elimination works if you come through from losers you have to beat the person twice in a row from the winner's side and I did that to Dylan and it was uh, I talked about the second one earlier with the baton passing Umbreon versus his curse and the the funny thing was in in the the first matchup in that one actually was my I started out with a, a Muck against his Blastoise and a Machamp before his Curse lacks. Muck ended up getting down to one HP against the Blastoise, but I was faster, so I killed it and then exploded on the Machamp, and I was faster there too. So that's the first time I really used Muck, and I was a big fan of Muck after that. <laughs> but uh, I I took first in that one, and Dylan got second. Uh, the other Mike got third. And my cousin Bailey got fourth at the third tournament, and that was that was pretty big for her because she hadn't ever. It was the first time she had brought her own team, and we talked about her fissuring ride on earlier. But she ended up beating one of the Knicks that was there, which was unexpected. She beat my brother-in-law Ryan, that was unexpected. She beat Rick, which was really unexpected. I don't even. I never even saw that match because I was busy playing my own. So I don't know, Rick, if you remember what happened.
1: Some BS shenanigans, that's what happened. Fissure? Yeah, fissure and horn drill, that's what happened. Fissure mm-hmm. for one and horn drill for another one. It was like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. Girls with the fissure, right on with the horn drill?
2: Yep. So in a row, she beat the other Nick, Ryan, Rick, and then she had to play me. And that was one of my favorite times. Like, she... Fissured Kingdra, and I managed to weasel her down to Gengar versus my Umbreon. And she had Hypnosis Dream Eater, which we mentioned earlier isn't always a great combo. And because I was Dark type, I'm just immune to Psychic attacks. So all she had was um, Nightshade, Hypnosis, and Confuse Ray. So it was a super long battle. Umbreon couldn't poison her Gengar because Gengar's Poison type. So all I had was um, Confuse Ray, Feint Attack, and Moonlight. So I could recover health and do some damage with Faint Attack. But at one point, I was asleep and confused, and she took me down to 1 HP, and I woke up, snapped out of confusion, and used Moonlight in the same turn, and then killed her on the next move. And the funny part was, after... I won the match. She threw the controller down, cussed me out, and then ran outside.
1: She she, she wanted that win.
2: Yeah. And I got it was, pretty much so close. I will not even pretend and say that it wasn't lucky. It was super lucky. Matt right. Rick, you tied Sam at fifth place. And that is pretty much it for the third tournament. The fourth one the other Mike ended up winning that one. He actually was undefeated in that tournament. I got second. Uh, Haley got third. She uh, was heavily coached through her matches, but she still managed to get third. Nick, one of the Knicks got fourth, and then Rick, you tied for fifth. And then Laura and Mike, you both tied for seventh. Quick results from tournament four.
0: Going over the results is always fun for us because we get to see kind of reminisce on like the mistakes we've made and kind of when we've done well and when we haven't, most of us haven't always been a shoe in win or we haven't run away with tournaments. Um, to Tyler's point, we've all spent some time in the loser's bracket, had to crawl back. We usually place per most tournament standards, one through eight. So it's good that we're, you know, placing like top percentile, but it's not like we're coming in there and getting like one, two, three, four every single time.
2: Yeah, that, that's a good point because, um, you know, sometimes not all of us got, top eight and it was not because of just like we were bad or like shenanigans happen like shenanigans always can happen because it's pokemon but um you know we all we all had teams that we we learned from and we did well with and we got like it the fact that all of us got top eight in the fourth tournament like that's all of us being top eight is 50 percent of top eight
0: I think what's great for us and part of the reason we started doing this podcast is to kind of like talk about our experiences and share why we like these games, but also to kind of reminisce with each other and talk with each other about strategies and teams and what the next steps are and kind of like put together some teams because I know at certain points we've all talked to each other about new strategies or like, hey, remember when Bailey crushed me or like I lost to Mike or I lost to Dylan? Like what are my options next time and kind of help each other that way. And it's a lot more fun to have people to kind of like bounce ideas off of
3: that or bitch to somebody else about how just ridiculous the last game was and how salty you are about it because you have a right to be salty about it because probabilities suggest that
2: shouldn't have happened but it did that's why we loved going to ihop afterwards we could all sit around and be like ah why did i bring jolteon to that match that wasn't smart And i can cry into my milkshake as i contemplate my life choices
1: (laughs) As I'm scarfing down this French toast at two o'clock
3: in the morning.
0: IHOP was such a great thing, though, because it's like of food, which who doesn't want that after a long tournament? And then to Tyler's point, we can be like, why did I, why was I weak to ICE? Why did no one tell me?
3: I thought you knew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, you do. I think the other added element that always shows up at IHOP is because there's four of us. We don't always tell each other our strategies. So I would talk to probably Tyler the most. And I know Michael would kind of keep his strategies from me and talk to Tyler about them. So if we ever battled, Tyler got to see, like, both sides of that coin and be like, ooh, I know her strategy and his, like, let's see how it plays out. And then in the IHOP feast and reminiscence of the battle, he could talk about, oh, he predicted this would happen because he knew Laura had this and Mike had this. And he kind of got to see it unfold and also see... The shenanigans that happened. I
2: was like definitely privy to a lot of team building ideas, but a lot of times I didn't know what people were going to do with it because like you might ask me, what should I do with this? And then I might throw you a couple of ideas and I don't know what one you're going to take, maybe none of them. Um, But I didn't necessarily throw... Connor definitely knew more of what my team was going to be because we would meet up and battle a lot. But I probably shared the least of my teams just because i kind of only bounced ideas off myself i guess i never did that like on purpose to like hide everything from everyone it just kind of happened
0: sure spoken like a champion
2: Well, connor also like he knew a lot of my team strategies but for some reason he always refused to ever make anything specifically to battle against me which i mean worked for me In my benefit, but was just kind of odd.
0: That is almost like a teaser for, I think, what we should talk about in the next episode is when Michael and I had very specific battles and he came at me pretty hard. So I think that's a great wrap for episode three. Until one of our Grimers comes up with a great outro slogan, maybe our head Grimer will come up with one. We've been using a massive explosion. A massive explosion! Because we all have exploding Pokemon and it seems to work for us. But we'll call that a wrap. This has been the Elite Four, a retro Pokemon tournament podcast. My name is Laura.
1: I'm Tyler. I'm Rick. Mike.